The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and thank you for joining us, me, the guest, the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm on vacation right now, and it's awesome. I'm in San Diego, hanging out uh, with my wife, a little, uh, little away time from the, uh, the kiddo. And uh, it's been nine years since we have been married, and that is uh, it's an accomplishment. Ten years is a bigger deal, but yeah, nine years, pretty awesome. So shout out to my wife for putting up with me and uh, you know doing all this weird stuff that she's like, oh man, here's some more time you got to spend away from the family. But anyways, let's talk about guests because that's why you came here, right? Hirakesh Hirway, he is uh, a member slash founding dude of a band called the 1AM Radio. And more recently, he is doing an amazing podcast that you should be checking out called Song Exploder. Basically, what he does is take apart songs from guitars, samples, whatever it is that this song contains. He breaks it apart, asks the song creator like how this was created. And uh, for those of you that are into the more aggressive stuff, uh, he did a episode on Converge and a song called Dark Horse. It is a beautiful place to start, and then, uh, yeah, you'll fall in love with the podcast. It's awesome. So I sat down with him in his L.A. home, and we talked, but more on him in a minute. Let's get some business out of the way. So some of you picked up the rallying cry from the last episode and uh, tried to start a Wikipedia page. I really, really appreciate that. I'll be corresponding with you and sending out fun stuff to you. But uh, for some reason, it got blocked. I've literally never contributed anything to Wikipedia So I don't know what the rules and regulations are, but we'll get through this. But you, the listener, I would love your help in starting a Wikipedia page. That that legitimizes the show in ways that, uh, you know, other people may just like trip across it and be like, oh, yeah. And 
I think it would be great also to have kind of the, you know, the, the most, the jumping off points. Cause you know, I mean, at this point it's like, this is what episode 120. That's a lot of episodes to dig through. So some people need a little guidance. So, you know, for those of you that are contributing to the Wikipedia page, do that be like, Hey, here's my favorite episode and contribute that and write about it and that sort of stuff. Anyways, just an idea. But uh, I want to get some review mentions and another donation plug out there. Uh, a person named Meat and Cheese from Great Britain said, I can't believe I found this show so far into it and I'm so excited about it, which is awesome because that's what I love about this. You can get into it at any time and then dive backwards into the archive and be like, holy crap, this is a bunch of awesome stuff. So thank you for that review on the iTunes store. And there's something really special. At least it was really special to me. So a few episodes ago, I interviewed John Bradley from the band Dads. And that show got so much feedback. People really, really appreciated it and loved our discussion. And so then a few days after I posted the show, I saw a nice donation come through the pipes. And I was like, huh, that name sounds familiar. It was from a person named Kathy Bradley. So I was like, wait a minute, is this John's mother? Because the address was from a town he was originally from. And so anyways, I texted John and he was like, yep, that is 100% my mom. How amazing is that? So she decided to donate to the show and I can't thank her enough for that. She was just like, hey, great interview with John. She didn't even say like my son or anything like that. So big shout out to her. It's awesome to get that sort of feedback. I mean, from a person who probably has never listened to a podcast before. So it's amazing. Anyways, propertyofzach.com. Visit them, our awesome media partner. And uh, yeah, review the show. Visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. And then email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. So for those of you that are regular followers of the show, uh, about once a month, I bring on a great friend of the show. His name is Dave Anthony, and he writes for a website called theavclub.com, one of my favorite pop culture destinations. So uh, we talk about records because a lot of you enjoy the recommendation stuff. And if you do, check out a few episodes ago. I, I posted a bonus show of all recommendations of stuff you should be checking out over the summer of 2014. Anyways, without further ado, here is my discussion with Dave, and then I'll pop back in, give you a little more context for Hirakesh, and then we will uh, we'll dive into the interview. Okay? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm gonna say I was disappointed that you decided not to really, really challenge my uh, my my taste and and deliver a really hard record for me to to get into because this the we'll just dive right in the Hard Girls record that you sent over. Uh, was so good. And I know you you kind of set me up as saying this is could potentially be one of your favorite records of the year. But yeah, tell me more about it because I, I never heard of these dudes prior to you showing them to me. Well, that's the thing is I felt kind of like, I was thinking about it more and more. I was like, ah, I know I said in the last one, like, oh, I should try to find something Ray won't like. Right. And it just became, you know, you and I exchanged a few emails trying to like, you know, figure it out or like narrow it down to like what's something that like, and not in like a troll way of me being like, oh, like you're gonna hate this, but like something I would genuinely like, and you might not. But it, it felt like that was just too disingenuous to try and orchestrate. You know, like we were kind of like having a lot of similar opinions, and nothing was really true. coming up. And then like this Hard Girls record came out, and I was just like, I just need to talk to th- about this to anyone who will listen to me because. Um, the Hard Girls are a band who've been around for a few years now, and 
you know, they put out a like like debut like seven song EP, mini LP, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, the recording quality is kind of rough, uh, but there's a couple songs on there that are really, really good and got me really interested in them. And the way I came to them was they were on quote-unquote records, which is Jeff Rosenstock from Bomb the Music Industry's label. And I was like, oh, this band's pretty cool. But what I didn't know when I first started listening to them, I was like, something about this sounds really familiar, is that their guitar player, Mike, was in one of my favorite bands ever called Shinobu, Mm. who are like this really underrated... Uh, like California Asian man band who like really walked the line between pop punk and indie rock. And I, I just think we're a really unique band and the people who got into them all love them, but just not a lot of people got into them. So I, I started getting into hard girls. They put out a record called, isn't it worse? Uh, maybe two years ago that I really liked. And then this came out and, and from the jump, I was just like, this is brilliant like i don't say that often because it sounds super hyperbolic but like from the start you know even though that first song kind of opens with like the against me new wave riff (laughs) totally it it, like really builds to something different it's not trying to be that against me song like from where it goes after those first 40 seconds it's a totally different song in my mind and the thing i really love about the record is i've listened to it constantly i've seen them live now and like I keep forgetting just how many good songs are on it. You know, like usually after the third or fourth song, you're kind of settling in and like, you know what to expect. But every time I go through it now, I feel like I'm constantly being blindsided by, I was like, Oh, I forgot this song was on here. And like, Oh, I forgot how good this song was. And that just happens from like song one through the end at track 14. And, uh, I just, there's something about it. They're just like this really wiry, lean, three-piece punk band who, you know, in the first three or four songs come out and write these really catchy, really short, fast songs. And then midway through the record, towards the end of the record, it really slows down and spreads out and and takes its time. It's very, uh, for lack of a better term, patient. It's not rushing to get places. You know, it'll, it'll do a long two-minute instrumental passage to get to a giant hook you never saw coming. And it's just, it's been pretty much in constant rotation since I first got the download of it. And like, I play the record constantly and everyone I've shown it to, uh, you know, my bandmates, you know, friends, I'm like, you have to listen to this record. And everyone, uh, you know, at least most of the people I value really closely have freaked out about it equally as much. So I just want to like keep, sharing that because it's such a cool feeling to be like i love this thing and it seems like a lot of the other people i'm around also really love this thing yeah no there's definitely that level of enjoyment that you share with other people when it's like it's like just enough under the radar that you feel you know comfortable enough in being like oh hey have you listened to this you know this new record as opposed to like oh have you listened to the new most popular band that's around right now their new record like (laughs) yeah of course everyone's listened to it you know but there's definitely that like oh dude have you heard that and then you know without any your friends obviously will have no you know air of pretension of like oh no dude but i've heard of that band you know like that'll drop but those be like oh no i haven't heard that and then yeah that's exactly everything that you're describing about the you know the fun and joy of the record is exactly what i got as well where i was just i was listening to it on a uh their punknews.org stream because i was just like and after like the second listen i immediately went over to the asian man store bought the lp and yeah i just it's it's so good it has all of those elements that make the whole you know gainesville sound cool but then they have 
this this like you said this sort of you know joy slash wiry punk thing that kind of is emblematic of of you know california and northern california in particular it's just all these cool elements that kind of you know congeal into a unique punk record which is it's harder and harder to do these days it's one of those things where it took me by surprise and and with asian man specifically like i think they have a strong history of always kind of having these pockets of small bands that maybe aren't the biggest ones on the label, but are doing really interesting things. And and Shinobu is one of them. And this Hard Girls record to me, you know, it's, I listen to it and the thing that sticks with me more than anything is like, wow, this is what punk rock can be when it gets old. You know, it can be excited. It can be very energetic, very poppy, very fast paced, but it can feel nuanced and it can do kind of strange things even with the guitar riffing you know it's not straight power chords for a lot of it like the song 996 tears which is just this like two minute blast it's just this constantly moving you know guitar riff and a lot of you know the the guitar stuff paired with the one of the vocalists like it reminds me a lot of like archers of loaf um who are a band i love who i don't think get referenced all that much anymore and they they have this weird thing of like, this is a pop punk band, this is an indie rock band, and it, it doesn't try to apologize or wash one hand with the other. It's just like, this is what we are, this is the band we are, and we're really, really good at what we do. And it's exciting for me to see a band come out. You can kind of see the reference points, but they feel like they have their own identity, regardless of when you're like, oh, that kind of sounds like, you know, a No Idea band, or that sounds like a classic Asian man band. Like, it always feels like hard girls even when they're referencing something else to me yeah no i i totally agree i think it's it is it is interesting to see the you know the the sort of asian man records thing as well where it's like they're you know for all intent purposes like asian man records isn't really a label in the sense of you know they're not going to get out and like give you tour support but it's like when they put their stamp of quality on it there's definitely still that reverence of people that you know really really pay attention to music where it's like yo this is going to be quality you know it feels so true to this record where it's like oh yeah if this came out on any other label that has you know less of a reputation it might have you know it might have been kind of you know lost in the the overall shuffle it, it, it maybe eventually would have kind of poked its head up but because it's on asian man i think it's only strengthened by that fact you know oh for sure and and asian man's a label to this day for me where when they sign someone, if I've never heard them, you know, I'm going to listen to it just because Mike Park's such a great dude and has, you know, for so long, you know, really across genres kind of honed in on stuff that, you know, maybe isn't the coolest thing going at the moment, maybe isn't the trendiest thing going at the moment, but is a really, really good thing going at that moment in time. And I, I am very glad that, you know, he's still putting stuff out, even if he's still working out of his, you know, parents' garage. Yeah, no, for sure. There's there's that level of just like, it, it's heartening. Like he did, it, it was so cool because he, uh, this was like maybe a year and a half or so ago, um, he married a, a friend of mine and to see him like being the officiant at a wedding was totally like, that's weird. There's Mike Park. <laughs> But, You're like, oh, of course he would also know how to be legally able to marry people. What can't this man do? Totally, totally. And it, it, yeah, it's just, it's heartening 
that's that's all it is of just like this it's so cool that you know a person is able to subsist themselves just from a financial standpoint of like oh yeah just just keep doing your thing man keep keep putting out awesome records and you keep having the friends that will want to you know release their b-sides with you even though they're in gigantic bands it's it's awesome yeah for sure um well i feel like we can should switch gears now to your record, which is very, very different from what I chose. Slightly, but slightly. <laughs> what made you pick the Under the Skin soundtrack? I, well, I mean, for I, I took your challenge of, <laughs> of of trying to present because you know I know you we were trading emails and you said that you were you know kind of circling around the idea of soundtracks and you know trying to figure out which ones spoke to you and which ones didn't speak to you. So it was like, I think you're in a place of where I was like maybe, I don't know, a year and a half or so ago before I took a real deep dive into soundtracks. And so I chose this one in particular just because it does like the musician that is the composer of this, of the under the skin soundtrack is like Micah Levi, which honestly I don't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't familiar with her at all prior to this besides just by name. Yeah. yeah. When I was searching it out, like, cause I was trying to find, find it on audio and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, who did this? And I, I saw it was saw it was her, and just searched that in and, and started playing it. And from the jump, I was, as you said, like I'm kind of dancing around, like really giving myself full bore to like going into the soundtrack world because I do like a lot of like ambient, you know, slow, quiet, even just purely electronic stuff in that realm. Mm-hmm. And, and this really did hit me right away. The thing that you know stuck out to me is it reminded me a lot of what I like in like a John Carpenter film where it, it's setting a mood, but it, it's, it's really is taking you somewhere. And a lot of this, like from like the second track, I kind of put air quotes around that, like the second movement, if you will, right. it's really fucking unsettling for a long time. Oh yeah. It's tense. And just, it, it, I mean, for me, it reminded me of listening to, and this is a strange comparison, but it reminds me of listening to really intense, like, you know, drone metal records where it's kind of unsettling. It kind of, you know, is taking you somewhere that maybe you don't really want to be, but it's executed so well that there's nothing you can do, but just go with it. You, you haven't seen the movie, correct? I have not seen the movie. No, which is like, and I, that's why I chose this, this particular soundtrack as well, because it's sometimes it's very hard for a soundtrack to obviously like live on its own and be musically interesting enough for a person to, you know, parachute in like you did and just be like, okay, like I'm, I'm listening to this as music as opposed to a companion piece to something visual. So all the sentiments you're sharing are like, so obviously completely directly related to the movie. Cause like it's the movie's unsettling. Like I saw the movie and then I think, I think later on that day I sought out the soundtrack and then bought it on vinyl and was, was just mesmerized by it in the same way that you were, because it was like, it obviously takes you on a journey in the same way that the movie does. And it it does it in a way that is, it's musically akin to obviously a band and a performance as opposed to like a soundscape, even though it still does (laughs) kind of hit those, those notes for obvious reasons, like as a soundtrack should, but I mean, it's going to be weird because when I'm doing my year end list, like I can't help, but think about this for being in like my potential top 10, just because it's like, it's for me, it's perfect work music. Cause it's obviously not. Oh, absolutely. It won't tear you away from like deep thought and something that you're writing or whatever. Yeah. It was just so cool. And it's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you, you engaged with it, even though you didn't have, you know, any sort of visual reference points. It's just like, yeah, I'm just going to listen to this. And I kind of, I, I know Scarlett Johansson's in it. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and that's the thing is, I had wanted to see Under the Skin, and you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot of good things about it. And you know, working at AV Club, like we have our film people who, you know, I read their reviews and, and see what they're talking about. And there's a lot of stuff I'm really interested. It's just often really difficult for me to find the time to go out and go to the movies. Yeah. And, and kind of like you were saying, like this is good work music, and that's kind of what has always appealed to me about getting into soundtracks. Is it's like a lot of stuff to kind of all right, this can give me. 30 minutes to 80 minutes of sounds that I can just kind of, it keeps my momentum up. And it's, it's why mentally it reminds me of something like Pelican or Isis even, which has vocals, but a band that is, is writing these really long things that, that are very subtle in the way they change. You know, it's, it's not bludgeoning you with an idea. It's just going to slowly and surely ratchet up that tension until there were times where it, it pulled my focus away because it, it would work me into this place where I'm like, holy shit, like I feel really tense and like need to like not be right. I need to look at something else and just like break from this. And and it it makes me want to see the movie, which I already did, but it makes me like, all right, I should actually search this out and, and this is something that I should be spending time with. And and the the one point of yours that I'd like to kind of talk about, because I think it's really fascinating, is I feel like we're living in this time where people are appre- uh, appreciating soundtracks as musical work and no longer just as accompaniment. And I, I, I find that really fascinating because listening to something like this, this is a, a really amazing work that, you know, has been put together. And I, I think it stands up, you know, as strong as anything that's a traditional song or traditional album. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, I, it is, it is interesting because there are certain things like in my deep dives into the soundtrack world there, you know, it's like, whatever, but like, I'm going to reference a terrible release that I was really disappointed in purchasing, uh, the, like the original last house on the left soundtrack, which was, Oh yeah. It, it, I referenced it in an email to, uh, to you where it was like, I bought it and it just, I, I bought it having seen the movie forever ago. Didn't really think about the soundtrack or score to it. And then it, it was, it was stupid. It was just noises basically. Like I didn't feel like it did anything, you know? And so for sure. And it's just like the sound of like chains rattling and like glass breaking. Yeah. It was all, yeah. It was almost as like sound effecty record. It's like, dude, what? This is so dumb. I can't believe I just spent 20 bucks in this vinyl. I can't believe anyone put that out. Anyone's like, man, I want to jam to last house on the left. Dude, it's astonishing how much of a cottage industry has been built up around these, these sort of schlocky, you know, B horror movies slash cult classics. It's unbelievable, but it is, it is interesting to listen to these things. Like there are, you know, I mean, it's like that poster company Mondo. It's like them releasing, they have released pieces of vinyl that I've purchased. I've never seen the movie. I'm like, well, I'm just going to dive right into this. And it's like, there are certain movie or certain soundtracks that I've listened to have been like, that's really cool. And then go back and watch the movie. And I'm like, wow, I, I like the movie that much better because of it. And so it's, I, w- I honestly wouldn't be surprised if once you see Under the Skin, you're going to be like, you're, you're already going to be anticipating the tension. And then when the music starts, it's going to give you that sort of weird feeling of like, I mean, same way as like when you watch a band play and you already are familiar with their music. It's like, it's so weird. Well, yeah, I, the way I, I, I liken this is like, and it, it kind of works really well here where we, with the two records we're discussing is that like, I listened to that Hard Girls record to death and I went to see them, they were opening for Andrew X and Jihad. They would play, they played like six songs and I'm like, holy shit, like what's next? And like, they would hit that first chord and I would be like, yeah, like it would just all come rushing to me. 
And I think, you know, listening to the soundtrack first when I do see the movie is going to give me the experience of seeing the band live. It's like I'm familiar with the movements. I kind of have an idea of how this might work. But now I'm in for the visual element that this has been lacking, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's not, you know, a perfect analogy, but like that's kind of how I've been thinking about it in my head. Like I'm going to you know, hear the first note of something that I'm already familiar with and be like, oh God, like uh, something's about to happen. I don't know what, but I know what this is building to. Yeah. At least in in, in a feeling manner, maybe not in a story or plot manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, Um, it's, it's totally cool. And I just, I love, I love the, the attention that, you know, people continually have with the you know, curation of soundtracks and like how they are getting, you know, bands involved like that movie, that Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion, how M83, you know, M83, however you like to pronounce it, <laughs> yeah, did, did the soundtrack for it. It's just cool to see that the usual conventions of just like, hey, we're going to work with these like 10 composers, the whole industry, the whole movie soundtrack industry is going to work with these 10 people and that's it. And it's, I mean, the same way that, you know, Trent Reznor has done so many cool things for for his scores. But yeah, it's just so cool to see that landscape change and engage people in ways that they probably never would have, you know, whatever, 10 years ago. Well, and and that's the thing is like, you kind of, you know, well, like I know it's something you've been interested in, like with, uh, you know, talking to you about it and like doing this, like you're kind of opening that door for me to be like, all right, like this is something, you know, I've kind of flirted with the idea of, with, of like, all right, I should, you know, buy some soundtracks, kind of see what this is all about. But after, really spending time with this, I, I really do want to give it more of a deep dive. And, and again, like, I don't think I'll ever be an expert on it, but I, I do really enjoy it. And for me, that's all I need is like, if I like something, I'm going to do it. And if I don't, well, yeah, I try. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June. And you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment. Focus on the things that obviously, for one, matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ray. 
The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The feeling that I got once I started to open up this world is definitely the same fashion as like, you know, when you first dive into, you know, punk or hardcore or whatever, you just start to feel um, more connected to this weird scene that exists, but, you know, is mostly ignored. And so when you start to be like, oh, I see this, this, this guy was important for these years and vice versa. It's just, yeah, you, you feel at this juncture in my life, you know, in my early thirties to be like, Hey, I can dive into this other musical subculture that is awesome. And it makes me feel not the same way of getting into that stuff, but just another, you know, area of obsession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And th- there's one thing I, I totally forgot to mention about the hard girls record. I don't want to waste too much more time <laughs> of the listener and you, <laughs> But uh, one of the most important things that I didn't note until I like looked over at my shelf and saw the record sticking out is that Hard Girls is actually the backing band for Classics of Love, which is Jesse Michaels from Operation Ivy's hardcore band. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. So, yeah, the Classics of Love record that Asian Man put out a couple of years ago, which is phenomenal if you know you haven't checked it out, if you really love like 80s ska punk hardcore, it, it's amazing at that, but... The band with Jesse singing is Classics of Love without Jesse singing and the bass player and guitar player singing their heart girls. So, like, they, they've got a really good range that, like, you know, is, is kind of often lost because people are just like, oh, it's the dude from Operation Ivy and don't really pay attention to the other dudes surrounding that. And that's just something that, like, I, I would feel absolutely remiss if I didn't like stop everything and derail our conversation to bring up. No, no, that's the, I mean, those little contextual notes make, make everything that much better. So thank you for doing so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. Well, I, I think this was very informative to me, you and everybody else that's listening. So thank, thank you again, Dave, for your uh, expertise and continually impressing me with your recommendations. <laughs> Likewise, Ray, always a pleasure. And uh, I hope people check both these things out and dig it. Yeah, for sure. There you go. There's the records that you need to check out. Thank you very much, Dave, for contributing, as always. And uh, so, yeah, Hirakesh, he, uh, like I said, is is an amazing hosts an amazing podcast. is an amazing musician. Does a lot of film score stuff. Uh, he's just a good dude. We had traveled in a lot of the same circles, but never met one another. So he was very gracious and said that I would love to be on your podcast. That would be awesome. So I went up to his house we hung out for a bit we discussed so many different things and it was it was a great discussion and i just love it because even though he has gone different ways in regards to the music world and not getting more aggressive but getting more uh you know obviously soundtracks <laughs> soundtracky if that's a word <laughs> but uh he he still has so many of the same upbringings as many of us have had so 
check this out. And after the show, I will talk to you again. I made my way there, breathed that air and walked on those dunes. Sank my feet in the sand, holding your daughter's hand. Uh, I usually start these things off just my own personal sort of introduction to you and what you were doing or what you are doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I became aware of you just obviously through 1AM radio and because of my affiliation with Level Plan, like we were talking about earlier. And it was always one of those things where I, I knew you had existed in the sort of, you know, hardcore punk world prior to like 1AM. Like that was where your roots are. Um, am I correct in that? Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I used to go to like straight edge shows in Massachusetts. Right. And, yeah. and, and so... Then when I then obviously once one AM radio was was a thing and obviously on level plane I always I love that notion of just like oh hey yeah like all that stuff that you listen to like how about you try to listen to this I presume that was like an appealing thing for you when you started working with level plane or like was that even a notion or you just like oh this is a fun opportunity I, I n- never thought of it as like a conscious attempt to try and change people's mind or anything it's just right. that. Um, I liked the bands on Level Plane. I liked the label. I liked Greg, right. and he he liked what I was doing, and uh, and so it seemed like a good opportunity. Yeah. More than anything, just to be like, I, I was just thinking, here's somebody who wants to do, who wants to put out the record, and right. I love what he does, and right. ready to do like awesome colored vinyl that I want to do. So yeah, it seemed like a good idea. Yeah, you're like this door is open. Pretty much should walk through this because it seems like it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. The notion of people, because I mean, how old are you? Are you thirty? Like. In my 30s. Okay, yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm 33. And so it's like, I feel like I've been afforded a certain luxury in the fact that it's like, yeah, you know, when you're whatever, 14, 15, 16 years old, get into punk and hardcore. Um, and then through either, you know, one or two circumstances, you, your musical palette starts to widen and you're able to appreciate more stuff. But then I find so many people that don't have that, that aren't afforded that luxury of widening their palettes. I honestly, it's like I get bummed because I, I, I look at that and I'm like, oh man, you're not experienced. Like you're, you were going to view yourself as this thing that you were when you were 15 years old and like never give anything any other time of day. I'm sure you experienced that. You know, I never actually, like, I know that those people Ex- exist. Sure. And I'm sure we're at a lot of the shows that I play and be like, whatever about this. But right. the people that I hung out with uh-huh. um, always had you know, really diverse music tastes. For okay. me, like, 1994 was about Fugazi as much as much as it was about, like, DJ Shadow and Portishead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like a lot of the people that I used to play music with sort of were similar, you know. I right. remember, uh, like, the first the first sort of bigger hardcore shows I would do, they were all with Drums Dream. And those guys, uh, for being a heavy, you know, screamy band, they all those guys ever talked about was, like, you know, Bower, Bowery Electric and uh, sure. um, a lot of pretty melodic stuff. And so that's why I think they were they were excited to take me on tour because they were like, oh, this is like a lot. This is like the <laughs> other side of the stuff that we listen to. Right, right, right. This is, <laughs> yeah, because there's definitely that, especially as a touring band, there's that notion of like, oh, this is nice to not play with a typical band that sounds exactly like us. Yeah. This can, this, this may alienate some of the audience. They may want to, you know, sit down or fall asleep or what, you know, ever, whatever cliche you can put on your music. But as a band, it's refreshing to be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I used to get mixes from, mixtapes from Jeff Smith, the singer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and like, there wouldn't be any hardcore on it. It would all be, like, 
sort of dreamy electronic yeah indie pop stuff do you think the has because uh, i mean i i totally that that experience definitely you know rings true with myself and my friends um I think some of it, I mean, I've tried to theorize on like why that is, where it's like a lot of the music, especially like that people end up making careers off of, um, there's always that aspirational aspect of like, I wish I could be doing this, like in the sense of like, you know, whatever, like a pop punk band, like, you know, Newfound Glory or whatever. It's like, you know that those individual members have all these different tastes and they're just like, I wish I could do this. And of course there's some side projects or whatever. Um, but do you think like, because we're young, we're limited to the experiences, like what we could actually like play, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I've made, I guess the one I'm radio is just a product of what I can do. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like this is, this, this is the limit of my scope from a musical, like my, my musical talents. I mean, not, not saying that your musical talents are limited, but that, this is what's, I guess, at grasp for you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea that um, you know you have to edit yourself. There's mm-hmm. even if you love eighteen different ideas, right. you only have enough time in a day. Time is the, really the biggest factor. That's true. You know, and if you want to push anything forward, you can only push. You could either push that one idea forward every day for a year, or you could push three hundred sixty-five different ideas. You know. A tiny bit ahead each day right and so i think it makes sense that you, then you once you start something and it's you know you've got any kind of momentum you're like well i don't want to give that up and right do something completely different yeah if something yeah the the proverbial ball is rolling it definitely especially from just a you know life satisfaction standpoint it's like oh i, I, I gotta divert this like, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> uh but you yourself were you you were born and raised in the east coast like you're saying yeah the, massachusetts. The, the massachusetts where in particular peabody mass uh, Pe- of course you said it right yeah <laughs> peabody uh, you can't say peabody no <laughs> Um, and so what was your, uh, you know, how was your, your, your growing up in that area? Cause I've never been to Peabody, but I've been, I mean like, cause Worcester, Worcester, that's not too far from it. Is there, no, it's or? like uh, 40 minutes to the south. Okay. Um, I spent time there for like shows and played shows in Boston and stuff like that, but never, never been there. So mm-hmm. what, um, there's no reason to go unless you needed to go to the mall. Okay. You guys have a good mall. We have a good mall. Yeah. <laughs> we used to have the bad mall and then, you know, things switched around and our mall became the good mall. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Which is huge. Like malls are such a. A central, I mean, such a focal point for teenage life and just, I mean, tour life too, because you were just like, oh, what are we going to do? For this <laughs> I guess we'll, I guess we'll go to a mall. Yeah. Um, so, what was your family structure like? You have brothers and sisters, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I have one older sister. Okay, and it's just a, it's a, me, my mom, and dad, and my sister. Okay, and what did your parents do? Is there... um, my mom worked at Sears. Okay, and my dad's a food scientist. Oh wow. That must have been an interesting topic of conversation, or if if he even brought it home. You know, I never I never learned to talk about it with my dad until much later. Right. Um, I think also my dad's work when I was growing up wasn't nearly as interesting as it is now. Now oh, he yeah. actually like develops new products and comes up with new things. Okay. So we talk about it a lot more. Back then, he was doing more um, like compliance with the FDA. Oh sure. You know, stuff like that. Not not as exciting. Right. 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 Um, and so, and what's your what's your background? Like your your nationality? Oh yeah, um, my family's Indian. Okay. My mom and my dad came over in the seventies. My sister was born in India, and I was born in Boston. Oh, okay. And their desire to come over here to the states was, I mean, opportunities. Like, was there any? Sort yeah, my dad my dad came over for grad school. Oh, okay. Um, so he was living here. He met my mom in India. It was they had an arranged marriage, and then when they got married, she moved to America as part of the deal. Okay, yeah. and they. Uh, 
because I was, I mean, the, the, the cultural difference of the, you know, the arranged marriage and stuff like yeah. that, was, was that something that was ever, I guess, ordained for you? Like that, that was what they... No, I mean, I think by the time, I mean, by the time I was old enough for it to even be a thing, it was, you know, and this is one of the things that's luckily about having an older sibling, you know, <laughs> that we were already sort of culturally uh, American enough that, right. that it wasn't even ever... It wasn't going to be imposed on you. No. Right, right, right. Yeah, because it, it, especially from the, the, the concept of like, you know, because some families obviously, have, it's like w- once they do relocate to America and like start to, in you know, incorporate some of the, you know, Western values or whatever. But then they're like, oh, we have to hold on to these one or two things in yeah. order to make us feel like we're connected. Right. <laughs> no, they're pretty progressive. That's good. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, so yeah, as you as you started to kind of, you know, grow up in your, your formative years, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Like, were you, um, cause you strike me, even though we've obviously just met, but in observing your, your, uh, musical output, it's like, you know, you seem like a very thoughtful, quiet, reserved, friendly, but uh, I mean, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but like, you know, at a distance where it's like, you, you, it'll take you a minute in order to like warm up to a person and be like, <laughs> okay. So I don't know if any of those things ring true to your, uh, <laughs> your, your growing up or anything like that. Um, I mean, I was growing up, I think I, I thought I was like a math science kid. Oh, okay. Um, although I did a lot of art. I played music and I drew all the time. Okay. Um, and uh, I think there was just a thing back then where if you were if you were smart or if you were good at school, then people kind of tended to assume you were going to you know, be more math oriented. Sure. Like the idea of being good at language or something was mm-hmm. not, is not something that really manifests when you're in fifth grade, I feel like. Yeah. No. Um, and so... Um, yeah, but I was basically a nerdy kid, you know, I played Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, oh, perfect. um, yeah, hung out with my friends and yeah, you were, you were an indoor kid as they say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I played basketball and I played soccer. Oh, okay. Year. Um, I, I love that, but, um, but I wasn't like a jock. Right, right. You weren't, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't like a shut in or anything, but I did have really, I watched a lot of TV and I, and I had really nerdy tastes right nerdy interests you were yeah, yeah. i read fantasy novels and oh that's perfect yeah. what's so dungeon how deep did you get into dungeons and dragons um pretty deep i mean okay. i my you know my best friend matt growing up he had he had all the books he had a lot of relatives who who didn't have children so he would sort of be the recipient of lots and lots of gifts every year yeah so um we would hang out and, and i would get the benefit of all his stuff so I could like read his comic book collection and read his Dungeons and Dragons books. And so we would always do that stuff together. We would, uh, so we, I, I actually learned D and D, you know, without Matt and then Matt and I got into like advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had all the books and we had, you know, I mean pretty deep. It was like a pretty yeah, big yeah. collection of, yeah, you were leveling up. Yeah. The funny thing is like, mo- we didn't have like a ton of people to play with. Sure. We had maybe, you know, in middle school, we finally met a couple of, couple guys who we were playing sometimes with but a lot of the times it was just the two of us and you can't really do that much no yeah um, you limited <laughs> yeah so it wasn't like we had like a weekly crew right that we would get together it was a lot of it was just reading the books and sort of imagining sure stuff. this is what a quest would be like yeah right? yeah exactly making characters yeah and then just sort of dreaming about the world it's and, and that i like i love people that have that sort of like singular experience because I, I didn't do dungeons and dragons but i did this like i mean Lone Wolf, 
there was this book series. There was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 books. I mean, it was basically a way, way more in-depth version of like Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah. I still have those books on my bookshelf because they were so formative for me to, like you said, create these worlds that was like, yeah, of course there's a structure and there are things like the process I loved, but then just giving me, because I'm an only child, and like the ability to just be like, dude, I'm going to be in here for like four hours. <laughs> and just that, that ability kind of like to feel that level of like, independence yeah because i think a lot of it you know even if you're playing sports or, or you're doing these other like you know typical kind of you know whatever elementary school slash junior high experiences um there's still that element of of like well i'm i'm doing this because i got told to or whatever you know you're not consciously thinking about it but yeah that's great i'm i just i get excited anytime <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anybody has that experience um but yeah it went pretty deep that's good i'm glad and it wasn't just dungeons and dragons you know we were into like palladium and oh, okay Robotech? Uh, we did have, I mean, we never played Robotech, but there was a Robotech, you know, book that went in the... Sure. In that Palladium world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there was a Marvel role-playing game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's, gosh, it's, yeah, it's so great. And it's, it's so interesting now, obviously, it's like how the, you know, nerd culture is, I mean, it's not even, that's something. Yeah, it's just pop culture. Exactly. Um, and so it's like the the notion of that be, ever being like, you know, in a corner being like, oh, like that's, you got to go to a weird shop to get that stuff. Right. Now it's just like, it's so quaint. You're yeah. Like, oh yeah, I go into a mall. And <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, uh, so when did, when did music start to so kind of infiltrate your life or like were your parents musical? Did they? My parents uh, weren't musical, um, but they, I think it was their idea to start me on piano lessons. Uh-huh. Um, when I was six or seven. Okay. Um, they, I think it was their idea, and, and I said I wanted to do it. I mean, who knows what I know, I was going to say it. But I said I wanted to do it. <laughs> right. And, uh, but we didn't have a piano or anything like that. Actually, my sister was really sweet. You know, she was 11 at the time. Uh-huh. She, she drew, like, a keyboard on a piece of paper for me. And so I would, like, practice on that. I would just play the... I would put my fingers on, on the keys. On sure. The, on the piece of paper and play on the kitchen table right so if she was if she's really committed she would make the noises for you too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's very sweet though she's like well you know i gotta i'm gonna take care of my brother i'm gonna hook him up this is yeah. what we're gonna do um yeah because i mean it's always the piano is always such an interesting thing like especially when it comes into a person's life like willingly um because then there's that there's that pushback of like, you know, I mean, cause I started playing when I was in like fourth or fifth grade and did it for about two years. But all I cared about was like, Hey, I really want to learn Tom Petty free fall. Like I, like I want to learn the cheers theme song. Right. I wasn't learning anything. I was just yeah. learning to mimic. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure your experience was obviously different in the sense. I mean, maybe you were bringing songs in, but there was maybe more of a music theory or like how to actually like read notes or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, you're, how you're actually supposed to learn it. Maybe I just had bad teacher. <laughs> Um, and so then, so the piano started off, um, and was it always one of those things where it was, you know, prevailing throughout your life? Like you still continued lessons for years and years? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I played, um, yeah, I had like a teacher and I would go have lessons and we would have a recital, you know, every year. And then, um, and then in middle school, there was like a school band and I started playing in that, Mm. but then, um, but I was putting the percussion section you know piano was in the percussion section so it was me and like nine drummers and uh and and i think there was another kid who would play keyboards and there there was only one keyboard there uh you know playing the piano part so there would be times when i would just be put you know go play the bass drum 
and there'd be like eight or nine guys playing snare. Right. But um, that's when I started playing drums because uh-huh. we'd be hanging out after rehearsal or whatever. We'd have section rehearsal and it'd be just us. Right. And then we would all goof off and, and then take turns. There's only one drum kit. Okay. So one person would get to play the drum kit and everybody else had like a bass drum and a snare drum and like the keyboard and like glockenspiel. Right. And so that was how I started, first started playing um, drum set was just fooling around there. Yeah, just mess around in the yeah. in the, the music department. Yeah. Um, and did you... And then that was it. Then I was like, oh, okay, that's what I want to do. I was going to say, it was like this, so, because obviously it's like the, the notion of guitar, drums, like that is way more sexy, even though you don't know that term, <laughs> at that time. So it's, did you like... Did piano basically start to take up like five percent of your musical interest? Yeah, I mean, I was still like primary, you know, I was still piano player primarily. And right. then, um, in high school, I started taking, I started um, taking, I could switch to like jazz piano. Okay, there were like jazz, jazz piano lessons I could take, and uh, so I started doing that. But there was also uh, at my high school there was like a room with a with a drum set in it, and my jazz piano player and the, the jazz piano teacher and the drum teacher played in a band so they were friends okay. so I asked him if you could if he would ask the drum teacher if I could get a key if I could like practice you know when nobody else was using it sure. he said yeah I would just go in there with headphones what what records in particular were you trying to play um, Fugazi 13 songs was the, that was the main okay that was the one <laughs> at least you're choosing a really technical like <laughs> That's not an easy route. Like, yeah. it'd be one thing if you're like, yeah, Green Day Dookie. Like, right. <laughs> no, it was always, it was just that. I mean, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't own a lot of music. Okay. And um, that was one of the tapes I had. Yeah. And and I had a Walkman and I would, that would, that was the one. I loved the drums on that, on uh-huh. that record. Yeah. The other drums, the drums that I loved uh, were on um, Meanwhile, the Helmet record. Oh, of course. And, but uh, I could, and there were a couple songs that I could try and play it, but, um, but there's there were like ton there's a ton of fills. Oh my gosh, like crazy yeah. fills on, on that record. So I, I couldn't really do it. Um, right. And I couldn't couldn't really do thirteen songs either. But but you uh, felt like you had more of a grasp. But I was like, song. okay, there's. I understood the song structure and I was just mm-hmm. trying to play along. The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a high apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie. I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over twelve hundred games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. This this episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. 
This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, how did uh, so? How did kind of like independent music? I mean, because like landing on Fugazi, like at that age, like because you were in high school at the time. Yeah. You're saying, um, that's uh, you know that that's obviously. Pr- I mean, uh, both Helmet and and Fugazi are, are I would define as somewhat mature. Like you know, I mean, I remember when I was whatever you know, fourteen, fifteen years old, and it was like, yeah, I listened to Fugazi, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't revelatory for me at the time. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, I get it, it's cool, but it's like Minor Threat's are way cooler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So how did how did independent music start to infiltrate your life? Was it just through friends? Yeah, it was through friends. I mean, um, my friend Matt. Okay. And I, you know, there was a time when we started, go, you know, we're going to Newberry Comics. Oh yeah. Stopped being about the comics. Okay. And started being about <laughs> look at fun this other music. stuff. Right. <laughs> look at this other stuff over here. Yeah. Um, and so we, I don't know, we got it. We started getting into. Um, you know, in like seventh grade, started getting into, I don't know what it was. It was just that idea of finding music that was transgressive in a way or, or just different from um, what everybody else was listening to and just, just I don't know, felt a little bit dangerous or exciting. Right. NWA, yep. Public Enemy, oh, Ice-T, and then Metallica, Megadeth. Sure. Uh, and um, like Faith No More. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess that was right around when... Nevermind came out. Sure. And uh, and so that sort of, that kind of supplanted everything else that I had listened to. You know, everything else was had, had been like whatever top 40 right. stuff before then, just whatever is... What, yeah, whatever was existing yeah. in the ether. Yeah. Right. My first tape was a White Snake tape that my sister let me get off of the uh, her like... Columbia house? <laughs> hey. She was like, I'm getting, I get eight tapes, you can have one. What do you want to get? Totally. And, like, okay. and this is a deal. They're like, they're a penny. Yeah. You're like, oh, wait, but the second shipment is like $9 million. Yeah. But so I really liked Here I Go Again, so I chose White Snake. That's that perfect. First thing. Yeah, that's, that's, your, that's the first record you got. That's yeah. perfect. Very monumental. <laughs> um, and I love, I love the notion of, of the, um, you know, when you were looking for some, like you didn't know what you were looking for musically, but it's like, the the idea of album art being such an important part of music of that era where it was like you know you looked at it's like i remember going into like you know a warehouse and being like looking at a cannibal corpse record and being like that i can't get that like that is terrifying right and and i never did because i always knew i'm just like that is way too much for me but like looking at those other records like megadeth same thing i mean and you know whatever dr dre's chronic and like snoop dogg like all that stuff you just you look at the record cover and you're like that is a world I don't yeah. even know how to describe that, but it's like, and then, and then obviously it's like, cause you have no way of sampling it. You're just like, I hope this is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that leap of faith where it's like, and I'm spending 17 bucks on this thing. Like I, I'm only going to have one tape a month or whatever. Yeah. I, that's, in those days, I mean, all, everything I, all my music was just cassette dubs of okay. other people's stuff. Sure. Um, and, but so I don't know exactly where that went from how that led to Fugazi I can't remember I just I remember you know I remember the summer of like ninth grade uh-huh. <clears throat> was uh, 
me and Matt, you know, he had a Sega Genesis, and I used to go over there and we'd play uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Of course. And we used to listen to this tape over and over again. On one side was Ned's Atomic Dustbin, and the other side was Fugazi, and we would just, like, listen to it over oh, yeah. and over again. It, just, it had, like, an auto... Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, just flip to the other side automatically. Perfect soundtrack. And, um, and yeah, some, some, somehow that... Right, and then, yeah, that opened the doors up. Um, and so then as you started to, uh, like, did you did you have the idea that you wanted to, like, play in a band or anything once you started to do drums? Like, was that something like, okay? I, you know, I didn't at first. I think I just loved the instrument and I loved the physical, physicality of what you have to do with the drums. Right. Um, and then I remember in 10th grade, these guys wanted to do, like, a cover for a school performance and they asked me if I would play drums with them. And yeah. I was like, okay. Right. I wanted to do a Smashing Pumpkins song. So like, all right. They, you know, they, somebody just, in, the, in my grade knew that I played drums. and, and so I, I, lo- like, I always love that, where it's like, especially from a drumming perspective, where it's like, oh yeah, I heard that dude. Yeah. Plays just like in the corridor, or like just that, you get pulled out of obscurity, where it's like, yeah, I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so that was the first, I wasn't trying to start a band or anything. I just, right. Um, yeah, I played with those guys. Yeah. Was uh, it terrifying getting up there in front of the audience, or were you kind of like, I, I feel protected back here because of the drums? I felt real stage fright at different times in my life. I don't think that was one of them. Right. You, because, probably, you probably didn't have the, like, the wherewithal to kind of put that together. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you're right. Being behind the drums made it a little bit, and it was somebody else's song. That's you know, true. Was, um, the, the pressure was sort of diffuse. Right. Um, it wasn't nearly like the first time I sang in front of people that was much scarier oh I'm sure yeah well because you're you're obviously putting a reflection of yourself out there yeah and if you get negative feedback you're like well clearly you don't like me yeah (laughs) um and so then uh what was it what was your actual first band beyond the the, like you know where you guys started to you know try to play shows and like put that stuff together um that wasn't till later okay um that was a uh a band I had in college okay. um, was when we when I first started doing like serious shows, like you know going to other cities and whatever, trying to really right. Play it. Um, and you were playing drums in that. I was playing drums. Okay, yeah. what was that? What band? I was playing was that? drums and singing. Okay, and we had like two singers. Okay, you know as you like, should again like the Fugazi model. <laughs> right. Um, so, so we sort of took, all took turns writing songs. Okay, um, but. You know, and we tried for a little bit switching off where, like, I would play guitar. So at that point, I had learned how to play guitar and started to write songs. Sure. But I still, you know, consider myself a drummer, mm-hmm. and the guitar was just sort of utility. Sure, sure. A way to write songs. Right, right, right. So, um, yeah, I would play, play drums and sing in that. And what, what band was that? That was called Pinstripe. Okay. I don't think, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I knew, you play, I knew you played in bands, but I just didn't, I mean, prior to the 1AM radio, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't know what you were doing musically. Yeah. I mean, had you done anything that was like, you know, did you put out records with anybody else that you... That was the first record that we put, uh, that I put out was a pinstripe record. Oh, okay. Yeah. That um, was on my friend's label. Okay. Um, and that was a label that, that the first 1AM radio record oh, okay. came out on. Too. Perfect. Um, and so then as, as you were kind of, you know, uh, matriculating through high school, um, did, what were your sights set on in regards to like, you know, were you like, I need to do music was, you know, what was the, <laughs> I had no idea that that was even something you, one could do. Sure. Sure. The um, practicalities of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't, I didn't really understand. I didn't understand how people, like I listened to Minor Threat and Fugazi and like was really into the idea of 
that sort of culture. Right. But I didn't understand it, and I was somewhat on my own about it. Like, I didn't have people around me who were like, let's start a band, let's you start didn't have a like label. A scene, right, you didn't have a scene or anything like that that you yeah. felt, right. I mean, there were, there were kids who were um, uh, in bands, you know, like Piebald sure. and uh, Converge. These were like the big... Yeah, yeah. bands um, in Massachusetts around that, that time and but I just didn't really didn't quite connect the dots to figure out how how that happens or how you do it yeah um, and certainly didn't think about the idea of doing music for a living right um, the the biggest change happened in high school though where I realized that I wasn't you know I had this this idea of myself as this like math science kid mm-hmm. beforehand but I was I realized that that was actually more imposed on me right by uh, my surroundings than than by anything else than your passion sure yeah and uh, and then and then in high school I had some really great teachers and I realized that that actually wasn't where my heart lay okay and um, I had an English teacher who I really really admired and I had a philosophy teacher who I really admired mm-hmm. and um, and that was what I wanted to do I was like okay I want to I want to be like these guys I want to teach right um, so my plan was to be an English teacher okay that was your pivot <laughs> um, yeah my wife is an English teacher and she the, the notion of like w- once you kind of set down that path there's like no practical use for an English mate like she just was like well like that's pretty much what you're going to do like yeah. you either, I mean the, there's obviously delineations of that of like oh you want to teach the college or do you want to teach high school right. elementary but beyond like you're going to be a teacher yeah <laughs> but that's good that you felt like you felt like you uh, went towards that as opposed to like the path that you were on because it's it is always difficult to be able to sort through what's been just kind of habitual mm-hmm. and then what is actually like you know striking your fancy like, yeah <laughs> I had the rare experience of actually liking high school. Yeah. I mean, not for the first year, maybe, but okay. but by the end, I, I really liked it and really appreciated going there. Um, and so the, yeah, the, the two teachers I was talking about, I just wanted to do what they want. I wanted to go back to that high school and, and teach and there. Teach. Sure. Yeah. And both of those guys, the teach, the English teacher and the philosophy teacher, they had both gone to Yale okay. for their undergrad and for their master's degrees. And then came back. Okay. And so I was like, oh, that's... Well, You're like, that's, they did that. That's what I should do. Sure. That's what... Um, so so then that became my business. So that, that, was, that was what you did. Because, um, yeah, there, there's obviously... I mean, when you say Yale, there's immediate connotations that come to that where it's just like... Especially, I mean, it's like in what you are doing now, not only like musically and professionally and everything, where it's just like... it's. Uh, it's easy for a person to write somebody off. It's like, oh yeah, you're one of those people. Like you're a Yale person or whatever. Like I, I see where you're coming from. Um, have you had to? Have you had to have, not specifically battle anybody like face to face? But have you noticed any sort of uh, prejudgments that come into you know kind of what you're doing and what you're putting out there? Where it's like, well, that's typical, or well, that's that's what's expected. I don't think so. At least not consciously. Sure. Um, and you know in. Music stuff, it, it, I feel like with one AM radio, it didn't usually come up. That's cool. Um, it would just be, you know, some maybe it would come up in conversation, but for the most part, I don't think people even know that about me. Or, right, 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 right. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, that, which is good because it's like, especially too, where it's like, I think something that gets fostered so much within the independent like punk and hardcore scene is that like if you are trying to like 
be successful at something that isn't music, it's like looked down upon. Hmm. Like that notion of just like, oh, cool, you're going to Yale sellout. Like, I mean, <laughs> not like that was actually happening, but there's there's definitely those those ideas of like, no, just 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 chill out. Why don't you just like playing bands, man? It's so much cooler <laughs> or whatever. Um, but that's, that's good. You never felt that direct pressure. <laughs> I mean, I think that by the time I was playing shows and you know sort of felt like a part of, of a scene I'd already been in college for a couple of years right um, or a year and a half or so and so that's how I met people that was like the, the context in which I met people mm-hmm. the dudes from Drumstream you know they lived in New Haven that's where I lived sure and that was just sort of a fundamental fact about about me when they met me right and so I don't think there was a uh any kind of second guessing of like, oh, should you be doing that or should you not be doing that? That's just what I was doing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like they, they knew you for you as opposed to like, the yeah, a notion of you before they met you or anything yeah. like that. It sounds like the Jerome's Dream dudes were kind of the first to like really pull you into that scene like on a deeper level. In terms of like not just going to shows. Right. You know, I used to, I was going to shows in Massachusetts um, when, I'd, when I'd be there. Um, you know, when I'd be with my friends there, I, we would go to just, like, random DIY straight-edge shows. Sure. Um, were you ever straight-edge yourself, or did you ever mm-hmm. identify that? Okay. Yeah. Are you still, or you have... You've... Yeah, I am. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, by, de- by yeah. definition... <laughs> yeah, you're not... For the listeners out there, he is not wearing his varsity edge jacket currently. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I stopped... Uh, I, I, at some point, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I uh-huh. started to feel like um, I started to realize the utility of labels and sure. also like the limitations of them. Totally. And um, and I got to a point where I was like, oh, I understand why it was important for me to feel like there was a group mm-hmm. that I could identify my values with, you know. Because what happened was I was, I already was essentially straight edge without knowing the term. You were default straight I edge, mean, right? As much as like a 14-year-old can be. Totally. But I had this idea that like, you know, my grandfather didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't eat meat. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not part of the, the Indian culture is not fostering, you know, heroin addicts and like, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I mean, there, it exists obviously there, but it's like, that's not, right. I mean, there's, you know, my, I mean, like my dad ate meat, my, they, my parents, um, my parents, not like they're drinkers, but like they didn't, they didn't drink, yeah. Sure. My mom used to talk about my grandfather all the time. She had a lot of respect for him and he you know he, he was in jail with Gandhi he's uh, he was a judge in India he was like a he was sort of like a little hero right um, I met figure. him a few times yeah sure met him a few times growing up but he always had this sort of um, looming presence in my life and I and I just thought he was a badass right yeah. <laughs> so like, I, he doesn't drink that sounds pretty cool I'll yeah, go ahead and do like, that that's cool I, I, I understand why yeah that appeals to him I just understand why that's important or something and sure so um, whether it was a knee-jerk thing or, or not, that yeah. was my initial instinct. I was like, I, I want to be like that. Sure. Um, and then, and then I started listening to Minor Threat. Mm-hmm. Somebody introduced me to Minor Threat, and I was like, Oh, these guys actually. There's like a word for this, yeah. and there's like people who make cool music who believe in the same stuff. Totally. Um, and feel like a pressure to have a group to belong to, but having you know recognizing that there was one, right was really cool and empowering. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, after a few years, I realized that, like, I didn't need, 
I didn't need that association in order to feel empowered. Totally. And to feel empowered about my decisions. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, some of the yeah, there's artifice n- of it. Of course. There's negative, there's negative connotations. Any label you attach yourself to, there's going to be negative connotations to. And it's like, you know, as, a, a, as an adult, one doesn't necessarily need to label themselves as such. It's like, right. no, you, you're just... Yeah. But it's like, for people that know, it's like, well, yeah, you can... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the, 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 like you said, the Drums Dream guys, like that, that's when you started to feel kind of like part of a, a scene where you were, you know, regularly existing in the context of this kind of independent community. That's when I was actually like playing shows. Sure. As opposed to just going to shows. Right. Um, and, you know, and it also was um, at the same time that I met those guys, uh, I started having um, a new group of friends that I met mm-hmm. at Yale who were into the same stuff. Okay. Um, so my friend who's, my friend who started the record label sure. um, that Pinstripe's first record was on and, and the first few one radio records were on, mm-hmm. um, he was somebody I met when I was a sophomore. His name's David Slade. And he was like, I'm going to start a label. an independent label. And he also went to Yale. Okay. Um, and... He and I started playing in a band together with a couple other guys, and um, and then I started basically doing garbage art with David and, and his best friend Carl. Okay. Um, so David grew up in New Haven, and had a bunch of friends from New Haven, and um, and went to Yale, and so he kind of straddled the line. And I had met a bunch of guys in New Haven just through music mm-hmm. before. So there was a small circle of people who kind of um, had a foot in both worlds, right? Um, and you know, musicians who like there's there were New Haven musicians and there were real musicians, and then there were people who sort of mixed it both, with, sure. Yeah, and that was sort of where I hung out. Okay, got it. And um, and that was in, it was in that context that I met playing shows with those guys. That's when I met Drums Dream, sure, like a house show together. Yeah, the, the band that I was in with with David and Carl, the Garbage Star guys. Um, we you know, which was like a emo band for lack of a better term. Sure, sure. Um, we played a house show with Drums Dream. Okay. And that was how we, that, and we became friends. Got it. Um, I always find it so, like, I love how, obviously, diverse, you know, independent music is and the kind of, you know, the, that whole, I mean, even though the DIY notion is obviously, you know, I mean, it, it, there's a television network named DIY Network. It's like, it, you know, it's, it's not delegated specifically to what we know, um, but you see threads in, in what, I mean, everything that you're doing now currently from, it's like, from the podcast um, to obviously 1am radio it's like everything has these undercurrents of people that people like myself who are specifically looking for it i find it yeah. but it's like even if you're not looking for it you can probably still see elements of it it's like you know i mean you having you know converge on the show is just one of those things where it's like you know 94 percent of the people that are listening to the show are gonna be like oh my god like i don't know what to do with this but the way that you obviously i mean the premise of the podcast of de- deconstructing a song and then listening to it at the end um it probably also was like, oh, it got some people in, or willing to listen to something that screamed at them. Um, and I'm sure that's kind of vi- like you feel a small victory on your end where it's like, well, yeah, I can kind of usher people into this like weird world that I've been a part of in, in some capacity. I'm sure it's validating. Well, you know, that was exactly what my expectation was uh-huh. of what was going to happen. Sure. Um, <laughs> You're like, how many people is this going to pump out? <laughs> just, yeah. Was, I, and I, I was like, whatever. In this context, even people who aren't into hardcore are going to appreciate totally. this and stuff. And I was actually really surprised to find out that there's a huge... It, it, it makes sense now that I think about it. Right. That the people who are listening to podcasts in general yeah. and listening to Song Explorer is, is, like It's a lot of people who 
come from the same culture that I do. So, so I actually got a huge reaction. Probably the biggest reaction I've gotten for any episode. Yeah, um, was from the Converge episode. All these people who um, were, you know, on Twitter were like, "Oh, this is uh, this new podcast that I started listening to. Did an episode with my favorite band. I saw that tweet like 20, 30 times." And and I was like, "Oh, wait, that's not what I was expecting." Right. But then I realized I was like, "Oh, but just like what you're saying, the idea of like." any podcast is sort of rooted in independent media. Totally. And so it makes sense that people who are into that and who are in their 30s or whatever, in their 20s, right. like, that 20 years ago they were listening to Converge. Totally. Yeah. Um, and they were, yeah, they, and they were going to house shows, basement shows, local venues. Like, I, I feel, again, like going back to the, you know, I feel so, you know, lucky to have like tripped into this stuff because it's like, it, the people that I find myself like either gravitating to or getting along with on a, like a deeper level are the people where it's just like you have that short like I can walk into your house right now and we immediately have like 30 million things to speak of and it's just that shorthand and it's not to say that you wouldn't invite somebody else over to your house but it'd be that like we gotta warm up to each other we gotta like oh so that that's the thread I can pull on right. like you like that book or whatever where we can just be like here's this tapestry of things <laughs> similar experiences yeah um and it's just it's it's great to see that like you're saying it propagates itself in so many different fashions to whatever art a person is creating is inherently rooted to the fact that they're going to you know shows and playing in terrible bands and they're that yeah age. they're seeking out something beyond traditional media yeah um, and so once I once that actually happened I had a revelation of, oh right of course that, right. I should have realized that that right. would happen but uh, but I didn't I had the opposite expectation. Yeah, I know. It's great that you're pleasantly surprised. Yeah. The uh, another another thing that I mean, I know that you obviously were you were talking to me earlier how you know you're you're either scoring a lot of movies, you're doing a lot of you know soundtrack type stuff. Um, that is like the number. Like if you were to put a list together of people who are you know playing in like punk or hardcore bands and are like you know reaching that age where they're just like shit, like I gotta figure something out. Like, I gotta, like, either I don't have a transition plan to, like, exist in real life, um, but, like, they're really good at music, and so that's, like, that's, like, probably number one, number two in most people's lists. Like, I'm sure you've experienced that where people just like, hey, how do you do that? <laughs> I'm sure everybody asks you that. Um, is Was it one of those things that, like, you, by happenstance, you started to kind of do that because of the music you were creating with 1AM Radio, um, or was it a concerted effort where you were, like, Oh, because I'm creating this music, I think it's well suited to this format. Actually, me wanting to score films—that um, was an idea that predated the One AM Radio. Okay, um, it was the reason why I moved to Los Angeles in the okay. first place. And um, I was like, "Well, I need to move to Los Angeles, and I can do the One AM Radio from anywhere, so I might as well because this is where I need to be in order sure. to score films." But before the One AM, before I'd ever put out anything as the One AM Radio. Um, by that point, you know, somewhere around the middle of college, I realized that was what I wanted to do. Okay. And it's um, taken me a little while to get well, get yeah, to that point, but, you know, I came out here and I was an assistant to a, to a composer for a little while, and I worked on a few films, right. um, scored some short films, and it just took me that long to get a feature. Sure, sure. Um, which, I mean, again, it's just like, it's the same way that a band exists. Yeah. You're going to have to play these more, li- the fun, but probably terrible shows, in order to get up to like, oh wow, like I can actually play out of state or whatever. Um, it's, I mean, it's the for anyone that like has the notion of like, oh, it's like not an overnight success, but it's like you see the successes that people have, and you're just like, I wonder what hard work's gone into that. That's what people should ask, as opposed to like, 
why don't I have that? <laughs> it's like, well, there's probably you probably got ten years to like work to that spot. <laughs> um, and the, uh, I mean, since since one AM, like you were saying earlier, like one AM radio was uh, a focal point of kind of what you were doing for a few years there, to where um, you know. Did you have to make that tough decision where it's like, I have to scale back 1AM radio because of all these real life limitations and like I'm not able to tour 200 some odd days? Because at one point you were doing that, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, um, and I would be doing it now if I had a new record. I just, mm-hmm. um, I never made a conscious decision to scale back. It's okay. just that um, after the last, you know, I, I after the last record came out a couple years ago, right. I was um, also scoring my first film at the same time, and um, and when we were done with the tour, I was just like, I don't want to play. I don't, I'm kind of I was like done with that set. Sure. And um, I just wanted to wait to do another record before I got started. out there. Yeah. Sure. Did like built a whole thing together. Right. Every time a new record comes out sort of like I have to rebuild the band or just like re-envision the whole project a little bit of course um, so with every record like well it's all you yeah and <laughs> there's different people who have toured with me every single year like right. year to year things change um, and so I wanted to sort of just take a second and figure out what I was going to do with the next record and and, um, and then after that that film came out I got another film mm-hmm. and I started working on that and I'm not very good at um multitasking when it comes to music like I can do other things you know I can do some artwork and I can do you know other kind things you know, other like mediums sure, yeah right but I can't uh, it's harder for me to you know be in I couldn't be I couldn't write songs probably for multiple bands at the same time or the way that some people can yeah yeah it's hard for me to um, compartmentalize yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know how people will have different personas you know, they'll put out records under different um, names. Like Nick Cave has Grinder Man over here, right. and then Nick Cave over here, and I, I can never figure out. How yeah, to you're, do that. you're only one M radio. Yeah, <laughs> and so so when I, when I was in a film scoring mode, uh, I just was putting everything into that, and then um, and I just haven't haven't written a record's worth of songs yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you? Um, I mean, the process of obviously, like, just because you know the one AM radio is is you know a moniker, which is obviously you. Um, did you? Uh, did you feel? Well, first of all, did you like touring? Because <laughs> I mean, I there in certain. I'm sure in certain aspects, because you were. Were you? Did you ever tour just like solely by yourself, or did you always? Okay, um, I did. Yeah, and would was that pleasant or was touring with a band more pleasant or touring in general because i mean that's not for everybody yeah especially i love it okay i I love all of it Um, okay i think um i don't i don't um love being i don't know um (laughs) i know too it's it's a hard thing to explain because you don't want to sound i know everybody always like if there's ever any complaints about touring people don't want to sound like Oh, touring sucks. It's so hard. And it's like, well, like, soda's working at a day job from 95 right. or whatever. So it's like, yeah, you don't want to be like, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't want to feel ungrateful to that fact. But it's like, the reality is that it's like, you know, it, touring is 90% of it is boredom. 10% yeah. is awesome. Exactly. Uh, and I think I get something out of just touring by myself. Mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed that. But, um, 
but I like being able to have a conversation. I like having people around. Right. So I prefer touring with other people. Right. Um, if I had to only pick one, sure. I would probably pick that. Right. But I, I like being able to do both. I think, you know, driving by yourself is great when you know that there's a show at the end of it. It, was, it would be really nice, you know, I'd drive for like 10 hours, get to the show, and then get to hang out with people, you know, and then... Right. And yeah, you were like, you're like, I'm ready to talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going stir crazy. I drove, drove now. I'm excited to see all these people. And yeah, yeah, I can see where that, as opposed to sometimes where it's like you're touring with a band and then you get to the venue and you're just like, you're just spent. You just like talk to these people or it's just like, there's a weird malaise in the van. And you're just like, Oh God, I just got to get away from these people. <laughs> you're like, well, I can't get away from myself. So right. <laughs> I can't wait to hang out with all of you. Um, and so the, uh, the, I mean, once I discovered Song Exploder and then hearing, um, like, knowing your musical output and, like, hearing the format of the podcast, it was like, oh, yes, like, 100% makes sense. <laughs> like, it, it, it was one of those, like, things where it's just, like, not only does it speak to, like, the personality that you've, you know, exhibited through your music, um, but just the intricacies, not knowing what I know more about you now, uh, of song craft and structure. Because, like, I joked to you over email like I, I sang for all the bands I played in. I have no musical talent from like a songwriting <laughs> perspective. Um, so I, I, I heard the notion of it and I'm just like, oh, that'll be terrible. Like I won't be, in, I mean, it'll be terrible for me. I don't think I'll be that interested in it. Um, but the way that you've built it to where it's like, it's obviously a testament to what the format is, you know? Um, so when did, I mean, did the idea exist in your head for a long time to do this? And it took you a while to kind of muster up the courage to put something like this together? Yeah, it was an idea I've had for a long time as, you know, something that somebody else should do. Right. It's like, that would be cool if somebody did that. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and then um, last year I was at South by Southwest with the one of the films that I scored. Okay. Um, and... I'd never been to South by Southwest for the film and and technology part. I oh yeah, for music, right? And that half is totally different. Mm -hmm. The vibe is totally different. Really? And yeah, the I've never who were there. Completely different. Interesting. Um, it's a lot less sort of like drunken party, yeah, yeah. party bro, right? Vibe. Um, not bro exactly, but you know, like hipster party bro. Completely. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of a little quieter and and nerdier. And right. Uh, there were all these people who were showcasing apps, I think in a completely unofficial way, you know, like they'd just be hanging out, you know, trying to get people to like sign up for something or giving them postcards. And I, I got a couple of the things and they were like really well produced, nicely designed little promo materials and something, I just something about that idea uh -huh. of these guys doing it themselves. Okay. I don't know. It felt, I was like, there's a, there's a. DIY version of of like technology or the, or like totally. a different kind of approach and I um, except I've known that of course but I, for some reason it struck me on that trip mm -hmm. and so coming back from that I, I decided I'll, I will just try and yeah, make, roll make to it sleep. actually be like okay I'm going to try and see what this could be sure um, and yeah I was just excited to, to try and figure it out Right. Um, so that was in March of last year. Okay. And then it took me took me a while to actually um, make it a real thing. Sure. Um, as much as uh, as much as that sort of DIY spirit was inspiring, I also was afraid of 
making something that would just um, languish in the ether, you know, um, that it would feel like public access. Of course. I'm just putting something out there. No one's really listening. We don't, I don't, I mean, I see numbers, I see people are downloading it, but that doesn't necessarily give you any feedback. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought it would be nice to try and find a home for it. Uh-huh. Um, and one of my favorite podcasts is the memory palace. Sure. And, um, it's the only one that I sort of followed really, uh, regularly. Avidly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And at some point, you know, he announced that he was now going to be a part of the maximum fun network. I didn't know what that was. Right. But, um, but so then when I was making song exploder right. at first, um, and thinking about where it could be, you know, memory palace, I was like, well, that, it's good enough for that guy then. Right, yeah. It's good. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I sent a demo. I made a demo and I sent it to them. That's awesome. Um, and I never even thought I never even thought about the context of that. Like, yeah, like it, it makes sense for, you know, a, a prominent person in whatever industry. Like, you, you, yeah, you have to make a demo. Like, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same thing as, you know, giving a... You know, crappy demo tape to you know the band you played with that night. Be like, oh, dude, here you go. Yeah, like, maybe we play some shows together. It's exact. I mean, I wrote a I wrote a letter and sent a CD with like an endless download link because who listens to CDs anymore? Right. <laughs> but but I sent it just in case. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I sent it to Jesse Thorne. Sure. You know, and he had had, um, I think he had Ted Leo on his show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at he one did. point. And so I sent him a copy of my split with Ted Leo. And the note and the demo. And right. I was like, you you're like, I'm, I'm establishing, I'm establishing credibility. Right. I'm not just, cause yeah, do you always, I feel, I totally get that because I feel like they're, especially when you've kind of done a lot of stuff, but obviously it's like never risen to like the mainstream level where it's like, you should know me. Like you should know me. Right, like, right. and plus if you're presuming that you're an asshole anyways, but the, yeah, you feel like you have to quantify yourself in some capacities where you're just like. Dude, I'm not I like this is a deliberate thing, I'm not some schmo like <laughs> Yeah. And I had no idea what the kind of volume of demos they get or you know people yeah. try to do that. So So yeah, for some context. Yeah. And um I sent that in like September or something and then didn't hear from him and um didn't know exactly what the protocol was for following How up. How long do I wait? Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh but I have a friend here who's an actor his name is josh molina uh-huh. um who was on like the west wing and and sure and stuff and he had been on on bullseye he'd been on jesse's show and so i asked him i was like do, I was like, do you know this guy do you do you Can have his email work? address yeah and he was like oh sure yeah he's like oh he's a nice guy let me um try and find his email and then <clears throat> um he just couldn't find it and then in december this past december he was like i found his email uh, and I talked to him, and he's going to get in touch with you. Perfect. And um, so I got in, so so then we were in email contact, and, and I remember he was like, "Okay, let's talk tomorrow." Yeah. And it, or he he said something about like he's like, "I think it's a cool idea, you know." And if you want some, if you want to have a conversation, I can give you some feedback. Sure. And I was like, "Okay, so it sounds like it's not for him, but yeah, um, but I could get some advice, and certainly I don't know what the hell I'm doing." So sure, you're um, like, "This is perfect." Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take any advice I can get. Right. So. Um, we spoke the next day on the phone and somewhere in the middle of the conversation I realized that he was saying that he would pick the show up and he was like and so he's like yeah so we're announcing 
five new shows on January 1st, and we'd love to include this as one of the shows. And I was like, it's December 17th. And I was going on a trip with my family on Christmas Day for two weeks. Sure. Was, we were going to India. Okay. So I was like, so I had eight days to get it ready. And there were things that, you know, that he had suggested that were good ideas. Right. Like, like changing the name. Okay. Because the original name was Deconstructed. Okay. And, uh, and he said, he was like, it's a great name. It works, but, um, but it's really important for people for to have a name that for people who don't know what the show is, uh, for them to understand what it, what it might be. Sure. Whereas, the, you know, Deconstructed might be cool, but a little bit, um, more oblique. Sure. I was like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And also the original demo, you know, I'm not in the podcast that much. Right. Um, originally I wasn't in it at all. Oh, okay. Um, so the, the, the first episode, the Postal Service episode, I originally had, it was just Jimmy Tamborello doing the intro by himself. Got it. Um, and that was my plan, is that every artist would introduce their own sure. song um, and their own episode. And I just wouldn't be in it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm producing this. I'm not a host. Right? Yeah, sure. There's no host. It's just... Right. And I thought that would be kind of a unique take on it. Mm-hmm. And I and I liked that. And I'm not... Wasn't really interested in being... Right. my personality be a part of it. Sure. But he said that he thought it was important. He's like, it's nice for listeners to feel like there's an author mm-hmm. behind things. I thought that was smart advice. So then I had to f- f- come up with a new name, figure out the format. Shove this all in, yeah. yeah. And get it up, make a website, <laughs> publish it to, you know, sure. figure out the... Here's the artwork. Here's, yeah. here's everything. All that stuff. And luckily I had Jesse and, and all the people at Maximum Fun to help me figure that stuff out, but right. I only had a week to do it. Right. Um, so that, that got a little bit crazy. <laughs> like what? Definitely down to crunch time where it's just like, oh, oh, so this is, ha- oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll get that done. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> where does it go from here? Uh, the last thing I want to hit on before I left you um, <clears throat> was the, well, one kind of going back to the point, like the, I think what is something I've realized in regards to like the, you know, the DIY nature of a lot of different things um, like you were saying, technology, how that kind of opened your, your eyes. I think what inherently makes the you know DIY, whatever, punk, hardcore, slash independent community from the musical perspective special is because like they're, even though now there is a notion that bands of that nature can exist off of their music, um, they're obviously at many points there's never been a note. Like, you know, you weren't playing in bands because you're like, oh, dude, like, this is it. Like, <laughs> and it's like, I mean, same as me and same as a million of other mutual friends. Like, that was never the notion. I mean, Converge, <laughs> they never thought they would be a band 20-some-odd years later. Um, so because there's no sort of monetary attachment, it's just the, like, well, this is exciting. It could afford us opportunities, but that's it. Whereas technology companies, it's like, cool, in six months, I'm going to get Yahoo to buy this out, right? Like, <laughs> and so I, th- I think that's kind of like, you know, what obviously, what I've noticed where it's like it kind of make it, you know, the that this this community that we're a part of is it kind of stays in its own lane from that perspective because yeah it does its best to not be corrupted from <laughs> the the monetary gains um yeah for better or for worse i mean there was it's a, true there was a time when i i had an offer from apple to work there sure and i worked there for three months um doing design okay uh they needed some help and they were looking to hire new people right. and uh and i was like oh i'm not really looking for a i want to live in la i want to do music i want to do film music i'm not trying to do design as my 
full-time job. But I don't really want to have a full-time job. I just want to make music as much as possible and then work as whatever I have to to pay the rent. Sure. Thought it would be a good idea to just try it, you know, make a little bit of money and then have something to live off of. Um, and so I worked, I, I, they offered me like a six month contract and I was like, how about three months? And they're like, okay. And so I went there and worked for three months. And then at the end of it, I was like, I got to go on tour. And I think about that decision a lot because I, that was, was a lot of money sure. that I made for like a brief amount of time. And even if I had gotten on for six months, I mean, it just would have been, my life would be completely different. Sure. Know, living in San Francisco and like making that kind of money was insane. Yeah. Um, and that was a long time ago now. Yeah. But, but it, but it took you, I mean, that's, but it was a conscious decision to be right. like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I sure. don't want this stuff. I don't want this. Cause ultimately I think what, what, what I've noticed that, you know, sort of pulls people away from their passions is, I mean, obviously financial concerns and reasons like that's, you know, number one, but like, as you were alluding to earlier, like time, like time is clearly a resource. So it's like the, the time and the energy. So it's like, you know, a person after a day of work, it's like, you know, they have from like five at night until, you know, 10 at night until they're exhausted. Um, but it's like, want to build your life as such to where whatever it is you're doing to put the, you know, the food on the table, so to speak, won't inhibit that, like that you'll still have that energy. Even if you are doing something that you don't particularly care about, that it still will afford you that opportunity to be creative in whatever capacity you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's where a lot of people lose it where they're just like, Oh, after like six months, they're just like, I'm tired. Like, you know, everybody gets lazy and that's understandable. Yeah. But for you, like you were saying to make that conscious decision, I like where it's like, yeah, I gotta go on tour. Like, yeah. I like how you negotiated from six months to three months. (laughs) You were just like, no, uh, yeah. Three, three, (laughs) you're like three months. Like who does a three month contract? No. I could have lived off that money for like a year and a half. That's crazy. I mean, because I, uh, at the time when I was where I was living in LA, I was literally living in my friend's closet for two hundred dollars a month. Right. So I, I mean, I could have stretched that out for, it, for such a long time. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, 20 grand. Like, dude, this is that's two years right there. <laughs> You're like, as long as I don't spend any money on anything else, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out, and thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. No, you invited me. <laughs> So there you go. That was Hirakesh, and I can't thank him enough for doing that. And like I said, check out his podcast, Song Exploder. You can find it on iTunes or MaximumFun.org. Great show. Just love it. And visit 100wordspodcast.com. Our producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. Endless amounts of love poured out to that, that young chap, because he's a chap. He's from the UK. Thank you very much for listening, and until next week, be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. 
Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Hey there, all you lovely listeners. Let's dive into this latest release that is going to suck the life out of you in the best way possible. So listen up, because the Womanizer Next 3D Pleasure Air Stimulator, available from Pink Cherry, takes pleasure to a whole new dimension, literally. Imagine taking the speed and intensity of the original groundbreaking Pleasure Air technology combined with new Climax Control, so you can control even the depth of the airwaves. The 3D Pleasure Air technology offers a deeper, richer sensation that might just transport you to another universe of pleasure. The Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry, is the only toy that allows you to take complete control of your orgasm journey with fully customizable speeds, intensities, and depths. Made from soft-touch silicone, a fully waterproof body, and smart silence technology, you can enjoy pleasure anywhere, anytime. So what are you waiting for? Ditch the doll and enjoy unparalleled pleasure from the Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry. Visit PinkCherry.com and save an extra 20% off with code NEXT.